Well, good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you here once again. For those of you who may be new to this virtual space, my name is Brandon and I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo. Now that last line that Ron read for us pretty much sums up what we're going to be talking about today. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life. I mean, come on. Uh, this weekend is an exciting weekend for members of our community, Josh and Melody getting married and it's very exciting but i'm thinking like imagine you show up at their drive-by reception line and you give their greetings to them your best wishes for their wedding and you say congratulations josh and melody enjoy your meaningless life together i mean that's basically what the bible says but how can anyone enjoy anything with words like those echoing in their ears well today we're going to be wrapping up our time with the teacher in the old testament book of ecclesiastes I was actually doing some research this week and I read an interview with Pete Enns who wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes a number of years ago. And as part of the interview, he had this great line. He said, not every book of the Bible is meant to be preached in a sermon series. And I think Ecclesiastes is one of them. Well, we're on week five, so we might as well finish up. After searching far and wide for a meaning and purpose in life, the teacher ran into one final barrier that every one of us dies in the end. It's like he's saying, if all of our lives end up the same way, regardless of how we live them, well then how can any of this be meaningful? And his conclusion was that it can't. Now, before I go any further, just a brief disclaimer to say that we are going to be talking about death this morning and it's a heavy theme and there are some side themes that are gonna be introduced as well. And so if you're feeling in a vulnerable place this morning, uh, it might be a good idea to watch this later or just to make sure that you're able to communicate with someone uh, during the course of the next 20 minutes. Ecclesiastes 9 verse one starts this way. The righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. A few weeks ago, our pastoral team sent out these packages in the mail, and hopefully you received one. And it was a package that included a few little things to kind of give us a little bit of a hope during the final stretch of this stay-at-home order. One of the things in the package was a little pack of wildflower seeds. Now, hopefully, uh, you took those seeds out and planted them somewhere, uh, either on a windowsill or in a garden or something like that around your house. And the idea was that the seeds, these seeds would symbolize kind of like death, kind of breaking out into new life, uh, vibrancy and color. Um, that was the hope. So I planted some uh, out in the garden at the side of our house, and I'm starting to see the results. I'm starting to see some little green sprouts come up out of the ground. Not a lot of color yet, but I believe that it will come because I understand generally how seeds work. You put a seed in some soil, you add some sun, you add some water, you get flowers. That's how we expect life to work too. If A, then B. If you go to work, then you will get a paycheck. If a light turns green at an intersection, then it's safe to proceed. If you pay for something online, then it will show up on your doorstep two or three days later. Cause and effect. So you can probably identify with the teacher's disappointment when he discovers in his searching for meaning that when all is said and done, ultimately, all causes have the same effect. All share a common destiny, he writes, the righteous and the wicked. So you're a generous and caring person, death. You're a manipulative liar, death. You exercise and eat healthy, death. You live on a diet of Costco hot dogs, death. You make the most of your time on earth, death. You waste your way, your one life away, death. 
Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 says this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. Or as another translation puts it, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Now it is true that death will come to all of us one day, but it doesn't actually come to us all equally. Death always seems to take our loved ones too soon, doesn't it? Or in tragic circumstances, adding to the already heavy burden of a loss. I don't think the teacher would have written these same words about death had he known that sometime 2,500 years in the future, six million men, women, and children would be systematically exterminated because they shared in his ethnic Jewish heritage. I don't think he could have written those same words. In one sense, the teacher was right in concluding that everyone under the sun faces the same fate. But in light of the widespread injustice at play in our world, we need to acknowledge that some people suffer that same fate in a different way. This past week marked the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. This was a tragic historic event that began in response to rumors about an assault committed by a black man against a white woman. She would later testify that he grabbed her arm. Uh, and what happened was that white residents empowered by their local officials, local government, destroyed more than 35 square blocks of what was, the, the, at that point, the wealthiest black community in the United States. The result of the massacre was dozens of deaths, hundreds of people in hospital, and thousands left homeless, businesses and livelihoods destroyed. No, not everyone suffers the same fate. And of course, in our own country, this year, we heard that terrible, almost unbelievable news of the Kamloops residential school and a discovery of the bodies of 215 children who were buried on the property. It's hard for us to read this. It's hard for us to try to even understand it. But once again, it is a reminder that not everyone suffers the same fate. It's enough to say that every one of us will die one day, but we have to do our part to ensure that every human life is valued and protected. I'd like to share the words that were sent out in an email this week, and then I'm gonna follow it up by a moment of silence. And I would encourage you to either use that silence as a time of reflection or to utter a prayer that you feel is appropriate. We desire to be a community of people seeking both truth and reconciliation. And we know we have a long way to go in both of these areas. We make space to sit with the truth. We grieve and lament and we ask ourselves individually and as a community, in what ways will this grief move us to action? The author Marva Dawn writes, it is one of the strange mysteries of life that we comprehend life most deeply and live it most fully under the shadow of death. But even though death might help us understand the truest meaning of life, most of us do everything we can to avoid its shadow altogether. 
We can become so attached to life that rather than death being seen as part of the journey that we all have to make, we see it as the thing that robs us of everything good. Now, the teacher struggled with this. The fact that all of the good things a person accumulates over the course of a life are eventually abandoned to the grave. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we did a, a unit in school on ancient Egypt. I think every kid in every year uh, at some point in their, in their school years learns about ancient Egypt. It's just a fascinating culture. And one of the things that sticks out to me in my memory was learning about how ancient Egyptians would mummify their cats and they would bury them with the, with the individual, their owner, so that in the afterlife they could be with their cat. Now, it's just not the stuff that is lost in death, though. Uh, the teacher points out that even the name of a person who dies is forgotten. Uh, Ancestry.com did a survey, and they found that one-third of American adults who were surveyed could not name all of their grandparents. Now, there are potentially a number of factors that would lead to this, um, but that's a significant thing. And if I were to ask you that question, could you name all of your grandparents? Um, Probably some of you could, uh, others might not. But what if I asked the question, could you name your great-grandparents? Well, probably almost assuredly not. Now, we don't tend to think about these kinds of things, but you can understand why the teacher was ready to throw in the towel when he did think about them. It's like he's saying, if my own grandkids won't remember me, well, then what is the point? And so we concluded in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4, anyone who is among the living has hope, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. But how could there be hope in death? I mean, what did the teacher expect? That life would continue on forever? That he would be able to experience eternal life? Well, we'll just put a flag in that one. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. Well, what comes next in the passage might surprise you, given the teacher's conclusions so far. In verse 7 we read, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. When faced with the limitations of life as we know it, the best that we can try to do is try to find joy in the madness. As Winston Churchill once quipped, if you're going through hell, keep going. In other words, if life is meaningless, then my goodness, you might as well enjoy it while you can. And so in verse 8, the teacher says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Another translation says, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. When I read that, I thought, is that really what this means though? Isn't there something deeper or more significant? But actually most commentators suggest this kind of interpretation that the teacher is describing getting dressed for a celebration, that that's how you should live. Again, this seems to line up with the observation that there is a time and a purpose for every activity under heaven. A time to mourn, yes, but also a time to dance. Well, after concluding that there's nothing better to do than enjoy life during our meaningless days, the teacher throws all attempts at finding meaning under the same bus in verses 9 and 10. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Now, I read a great story in the news, and basically it starts off tragic, but 
there's no tragedy in the actual story. I'll show an image from the news footage of uh, the police arrived in the very early hours of the morning to a scene where a car had a head-on collision with a semi-trailer. Now, again, no one was injured. Um, but what they found when they got to the car was shocking. So they opened the passenger door and they find a four-year-old girl. But what was really shocking was that the driver of the vehicle was her nine-year-old sister. So these two little girls from Utah got up in the morning and decided, let's go drive to California so we can swim with the dolphins. Not a word of a lie. So they get in their parents' car and they drive it like around the block and eventually over the median they get into this car crash just 700 miles short of their destination. They wanted to swim with the dolphins. I mean, it's just such an unrealistic goal for them. Which begs the question, was the teacher's hope that life could have meaning beyond the grave just as ridiculous? Well, Leo Tolstoy writes that the essence of any faith lies in giving a me life a meaning that cannot be destroyed by death. Now, several centuries after Ecclesiastes was written, another teacher arrived on the scene with some words of his own about the death that comes to us all. One of Jesus' best-known miracles comes on the heels of news that a close friend of his named Lazarus had died. The man's sisters were as grief-stricken as any of us would be or have been when we've received news of the loss of a loved one. In John 11, verse 21, we read, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, this is significant. Martha inserts something radically new into the life and death equation. The possibility that death doesn't have to be the end of the story. Well, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Even the teacher of Ecclesiastes, the wisest of the wise, wasn't able to wrap his head around what it was that he was actually hoping for, eternal life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. And it's a question that each one of us has to answer on our own. In his warning against trying to preach uh, Ecclesiastes, Pete Enns acknowledged that it could be done if the preacher refused to lift verses out of their context, which I've tried hard to do, and if he taught in the spirit of the book as a whole, which I've also tried to do. Now, I would go one step further and say that it should only be preached in the spirit of the Bible as a whole, not just of the, the letter, the book of Ecclesiastes, but we should only be talking about these passages in light of the story of Scripture as a whole. Now, next week, we're going to be diving into a new series on how to read the Bible. But for now, let me just say that our invitation is to read the despair of the teacher over the meaninglessness of life in light of the good news of Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. In John 11, 43 to 44, we read that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Well, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, to the crowds, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, the reason the teacher of Ecclesiastes was so discouraged by the common end that we will all face is that he couldn't imagine the very thing that Jesus was talking about and had just demonstrated. What happened temporarily for Lazarus happened permanently in Jesus, who was raised to life after his crucifixion by the power of God. 
and Jesus' resurrection was the first of many more to come. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans in the New Testament of the Bible, we were therefore buried with him, with Christ, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we identify with Jesus, if we unite ourselves with him in life and in death, one day we too will strip off our proverbial grave clothes and enter into a life that never ends. Frederick Buechner says, what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely, scarcely fill a cup. Now, as I wrap up here this morning, uh, I read this headline a couple of weeks ago. Life is meaningless after all save philosophers. And the little description of the article said a new report by philosophers in Britain and Australia says life is meaningless, but that fact poses no significant problems or threats. Now I have no interest in getting into a philosophical debate right at the tail end of a series about this age old argument, the same argument that people have been having for thousands of years. But I'll use this article as a reminder of something that I said a few weeks ago that Ecclesiastes is in our Bible for a reason. Far from being intimidated by the conclusions that we humans may come to when we're faced with the apparent meaninglessness of life, God welcomes them and he even gives them a platform. But God also responds to them in the fullness of time. He did so by sending his son, by raising him in power from the dead. The book of Ecclesiastes concludes with some observations of the narrator. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Which is another way of saying, no, we can't figure all of this out. It's beyond our comprehension, but we can still trust in God. And this is a powerful place to arrive at, and it's what we call faith. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to gather in our neighbors groups to discuss these themes that I've introduced this morning and to catch up with one another as well. But I'd like to end our time together with a word of prayer. Lord, I'm grateful that we have an honest exploration of the meaning of life like Ecclesiastes to help us wrestle with our own real deep questions, including questions around death. God, I pray that the good news of resurrection will bring life to us now in the present and will give us a hope for life on the other side of the grave. God, I pray that you would be very real to us today as we carry the heaviness of some of the things that we've talked about and some of the things that are happening in the world around us. I pray that you would be with us, help us to sit in that space, but also to be able to respond in the power of your spirit. Go with us, lead and guide our conversations, and bless us as we head into the week ahead. In Christ's name, amen. Peace to you.